You're listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 161. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be meeting Isabella Maldonado, who is a crime fighter turned crime writer. She's one of my favorite new authors who writes gripping serial killer thrillers, which, if you have been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know is one of my favorite uh, crime thriller genres. My current project is a serial killer thriller set in my home country of Costa Rica. So I was excited to chat with Isabella Maldonado, whose main protagonist is an American Latina FBI agent, uh, Nina Guerrera, who's a uh, trekking down serial killers. So I was very excited to talk to Isabella about her great thrillers and a whole bunch more. So stay tuned for that. Uh, the second book in that series, A Different Dawn, is out today, August 10th. So go check that out. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I think you'll enjoy it as well. Uh, before we get to the interview, though, a quick PSA to please rate and review this podcast. Uh, check out thrillingreads.com forward slash links, where you'll find handy links to do just that, as well as links to my websites. And you'll be able to join the uh, Thrilling Reads newsletter so you can get in on great deals on free and discounted thriller, mystery, and true crime books. My favorites. <laughs> so thrillingreads.com forward slash links. All right, here is my interview with Isabella Maldonado. Welcome to the podcast, Isabella. Thank you. It's great to be here. I found your book, The Cipher, last year, and I read it, and uh, this thought it was such a great book, and we'll get into all that here in a little bit, but your background is so incredible. You spent over two decades in law enforcement, so can you tell us a little bit about your law enforcement background? When I first got into law enforcement, it was the dark ages, uh, aka the 1980s. Of course, it was the late 80s, so, you know, um, but still, the 1980s. So at that point, um, I was one of the few women that were in law enforcement. There were some. I wasn't like the first, but there just weren't that many. Also, I was like one of the one of the even fewer Latinas on my department. So it was it was definitely very interesting and a lot of a it was a, a challenge going into a career like that. But it was something I had a big passion to want to serve my community. That was really kind of what what drove me. It may sound altruistic. And I realized that I couldn't change the world, but I thought, well, maybe I can just change my little teeny corner of the world. You know, maybe I can help someone. And and there were certainly a lot of opportunities to do that. I started off as a patrol officer. It isn't like the military. You can't just come in as a lieutenant if you go through officer candidate school. It doesn't work like that. Everyone starts off as a slick sleep private. So you start off at the very beginning and then you have to work your way up. And so I, over the years, I was promoted to sergeant and then second lieutenant and then first lieutenant and then captain. And that was the rank at which I retired. And when I retired um, 22 years later, I was the commander of special investigations and forensics. Wow. So it doesn't matter the education. Even if you have a whole bunch of degrees, if you want to become a police officer, you have to start on the street like a patrol officer. That's correct. Wow. It doesn't matter who you are. Like this, in, in that sense, it's different from the military. Mm -hmm. um, but we do uh, actively seek people who have degrees and things like that. I mean, that really kind of is... It's almost a prerequisite at this point. It's very hard to get hired without a degree, at least one. And, um, you know, so therefore it's, you just have to be willing to sort of say, I'm, I'm going to put in my time and, and, you know, and do what you need to do. But in another sense, it's good because it gives everybody on the department the experience and understanding of what it is to work patrol. 
because whether you become a detective or whether you go into a specialty operation like SWAT or canine, or whether you commit, you know, do the supervisory route like I did, you always have that connection to patrol and you understand what that job is and you can um, speak toward that. And that actually was very helpful for me. At one point, one of my positions when I was a lieutenant, um, I was the department spokesperson. I was in charge of actually the office, what we called it, um, I think it was public affairs at the time. So it was really important that I had an understanding of what it was to work patrol because I would have to answer reporters' questions about what the officers were doing in the street. So that was important. And did you always wanted to be a writer? Was that always like the back of your mind or that come later? No, I always wanted to be a writer from the time I was quite young. I was just on fire to write. And it's kind of, I can, I can tell you the book. It was a wrinkle in time, that wonderful book that so many people read as a Mm -hmm. young person. And I read it as a kid and I was so amazed at the author's ability to take me to a totally different place. And I could learn things and understand things in a different way. And I just thought, this is magic. This is really magic, being able to write a story and to show the reader a different way of thinking and seeing the world and a different place. And I just thought, man, one day I would like to do that. Now, I didn't end up writing fantasy, you know, (laughs) but it doesn't matter really what your genre is. You're still, your job is still the same, that you're transporting the reader to a different place. That is just, is just the best kind of magic that there is. And when did you decide to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to write a book? Well, actually um, it really, I couldn't do it when I was on the job. It's, I was constantly on call. It it started, you know, fairly early in my, in my career. Um, They needed people who could translate. And so I, back in the ancient days of a beeper, they gave me a beeper. And so I would get called out to translate because again, I was one of the few people and I was really like, there were hardly any females who spoke Spanish. So um, especially when they had like sexual assault victims and, you know, doing death notifications and other things where they thought a woman, you know, would be more sympathetic or whatever, um, they would call me out. And I was like on call 24 seven. And then not long after that, I became a hostage negotiator. And so I was constantly on call for that assignment. And um, even though I was still working patrol, I was doing those other things in addition to that. All the way up until my, even at the very end of my career as a, as a captain, you're also always on call and always ready to go out and manage and supervise a scene or an incident. So for that reason, I really, I just couldn't get, couldn't get it done with, with the writing and whatever, with this crazy schedule that I had. So what happened is I ended up taking a slightly early retirement. Instead of retiring with 25 years on, I retired with 22 years on. I had my son. So I decided that, you know... When it, when it came, I had a child later in life because it, I was almost like too busy to have a kid too. <laughs> so, so since I had a child later in life, I took an early retirement and decided that that's what I was going to focus on. And it was then that I decided that, okay, now I can write. And so I spent five years just doing a deep dive on research in the art and craft of writing. I literally read probably more than a hundred books, attended conferences, joined writers organizations, uh, listened to speakers and read a ton of books in the genre, which was mystery thriller that I wanted to write and police procedural in particular. And um, so I just really, 
And then I wrote several short stories that did get published to sort of figure out how to put all that learning into place before I wrote my first novel. So that is that is kind of the way it worked. But it, it took like five years of really hard work because police writing is just about the antithesis of creative writing. At least you hope it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it's so great with your background, though, too, because, you know, like for writers who don't have the the law enforcement background is that hard like for you to because you have to entertain but then you all you know what it's like <laughs> is that like a, a balance that you do like you know you, you have to be entertaining but then you want to be make it realistic that is absolutely you've, you've hit the nail on the head and it that is a challenge and um the the problem is that of course in reality law enforcement is nowhere near as exciting <laughs> as it seems in tvs movies and books let's just face it you know but that's true of a lot of a lot of careers. You know, you you read a medical thriller and you know that the daily grind of being a doctor is not as exciting as the medical thriller or the legal thriller. You know that your average attorney probably just sits there and reads and pours through briefs and notes. And, you know, so the same thing is true with with police. Um, you know, you spend a lot of time doing paperwork and, you know, even even when you're out there in, in patrol, you, you write so many reports and detectives. Oh my gosh, they write so many reports. So there's a lot of your time is spent doing that. So it's, it's not as exciting. In addition to that, when you use force, like when you get involved in a shooting, there is so much that goes on um, legally speaking that in reality, it would just drag you know, you write a thriller and the whole point of a thriller is like it's fast paced, edge of your seat, exciting. You know, I can't wait to turn the page and see what happens next. OK, so but in reality, if a police officer is involved in a shooting, you know, the first thing they do is they take your gun so that they can run it through ballistics and everything. And then you immediately go into, you know, internal affairs and, you know, um, they do two kinds of investigations. One's a criminal investigation, one's an administrative investigation. And you're sitting there being interviewed for hours on end, you know, over and over and over the story again and again and again. I mean, it's just, it would be mind numbingly boring. So you have to kind of cut through all that. My challenge is to make it believable, at least to let the reader suspend disbelief at least a little bit to think that, okay, this officer really could be back out on the street the next day after a shooting. <laughs> In reality, it wouldn't happen. But I try to write it so that I explain why it is that maybe the rules, you know, were sort of skirted a little bit, that there was an administrative or investigative reason for that to happen. And so usually the way I write it is, you know, for whatever reason, the detective is pulled back into the case while the investigation is kind of going on in the background is kind of how I do it, because there still has to be an investigation into something like a shooting. And so you said when you first wrote your first book, when you sat down and wrote that, is that did that did end up getting published or? Yes. Oh, yes. Awesome. It, it, as a matter of fact, um, it, it got published and um, it's called Blood's Echo. And it won an award for best first novel. It won a Mariposa Award. It was published and it did well. And um, as a matter of fact, we have some exciting news today. Today is um, the audiobook version just was released today of that first book. It's been out for a while, but there hasn't been an audiobook. Uh, Tantor Media um, put out an oh, audiobook yeah. version of it. And because, um, yeah, it's, it's doing well. People are really enjoying it. 
And um, it's a, it's been a, it was a lot of fun. But yeah, I was very blessed that the very first book ended up getting published, and that I got a three book deal. And so there's there's three books in that in that series, the first series. Well, that's awesome, and that's uh, what what the great timing for the uh, for the interview. The, the audiobook is out. <laughs> yeah, yes. And, and, and anybody who likes listening to a podcast would probably love listening to an audio book. Exactly. Yes. That's, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> that's why. Go. That's why audiobook Audible seems to sponsor like all the podcasts out there. That's probably why. <laughs> so I was a I was a a big fan of the cipher, and mm-hmm. and I got in. A, I was I was able to get an advanced copy of of a different Don from Thomas and Mercer. Mm-hmm. So that was great, and I've. Uh, I love it. It's a, it's it's so suspenseful and creepy and <laughs> everything. I was just kind of wondering how you came up with the whole idea for the series and the Nina Guerrera and all that. I mean, how did that all come together for you? I had finished. I had um, already finished sort of the, the Detective Cruise series. And so I wanted to have um, a new lead character and um, with a new publisher and, you know, big publisher and do something different regarding that. And I thought to myself, I what I wanted to really explore with this series was the, the quality of resilience. And um, in my career in law enforcement, I saw obviously some horrific crimes and I saw the absolute wreckage that is left behind in the wake of murders and other kinds of really violent crimes. And it was terrible to see how it affected people. But also I saw that sometimes people would emerge from things like that, uh, the survivors, and they would be completely devastated and they couldn't go on. And their life just sort of took a downward spiral. Other times I saw people emerge and they really went in such a an upward positive trajectory and they kind of changed their life purpose and they ended up doing so many amazing things um talking to survivors um we had a homicide survivors group that would meet with people um on our department and you would hear these families and some of them did amazing things to go on and help other people other survivors and it just it was fascinating to me to see how crime affected people in different ways. And I thought about that a lot. And I thought, what if the victim of a crime ended up because of what happened to them, they decided to go into law enforcement and decided to make it their mission to protect others to, you know, instead of being a victim to, to be like a warrior for peace or justice or a guardian of others. And so that is the kind of character I wanted to create. And then to make it extra challenging, um, I made her small in stature because, you know, she's small but fierce. And, and I have also discovered that. I've, I've run across that, too, that sometimes it's the small ones you don't expect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, they, can be, <laughs> they sneak up on you. You don't expect that. But, you know, she is incredibly fierce. And so I wanted to explore that. And, you know, and I thought that the cipher really, really did delve into that. And then in the follow up, A Different Dawn, then I just wanted to to do a deeper dive on her life and everything that happened to her and kind of, you know, without any spoilers, Mm -hmm. but, you know, to kind of share everything that happened and kind of put it into some sort of perspective of how she came to be where she was and everything that happened. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and then uh, I have to ask because uh, you know you were like uh, uh, one of the you mentioned before you were like I believe you were one of the first Latina captains in your police department, yes. and yes. Nina Guerrera is a, is a is a Latina FBI special agent. So I have to ask yes. any similarities in your life. Is, she, is well, she you? Are you? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's she's not me, but. I do definitely draw from my experience. There is no question. I think every author draws from their personal experience, either their life or other people's lives that they have witnessed or things that they've heard in the in the news or whatever. You always draw. But I that was another thing I wanted to sort of bring to the table is being a Latina in law enforcement. And my other series also features a Latina lead character, Detective Cruz. And I, I wanted to sort of share a little bit about what that's like without hitting it too hard, but to, to give some insight into, into that. And the main thing that I think that people can take away is that it really doesn't matter. You are who you are inside your heart, your soul, and everything else, you know, your, your outer surface and your cultural background, it, it has a, a role in what you do and how you think and how you approach things. But in reality, it's all about, you know, where your heart is and, and what you're going to bring to the table and what you do. And I was curious too, because, you know, um, compared to like a, a lot of the protagonists out there, when you were pitching this, these books, I mean, did you get any like, well, I don't know if that's going to sell. Did you get any of that or? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, okay. So here's the story. I can't name names. Now yeah. we're going back several years and this is back to before Blood's Echo was published. And again, that was my first novel. Um, it was uh, 2015 and I was, I was trying to find an agent and um, I went to, I went somewhere where they had, you know, agents who were accepting pitches and there was a very well-known agent there. And um, I spoke to him about it and, you know, sort of pitched the story and whatever. And he did tell me, uh, he said, you know what? He said, a lot of, a lot of uh, publishers will tell me that they want diverse lead characters. And she said, every or he said, every time I've tried to sell them a story that features a, a diverse lead character, they don't buy it. Mm -hmm. The libraries tell me they're interested. And then when it comes time, they don't buy it. And um, he said, you know what? Um, this is never going to sell. You should just make this like a white male or maybe a white female. But especially like if, you know, it's it's police, it's police procedural, very heavy on the police procedure because of your background. Obviously, there's a lot of accurate police procedural stuff. A lot of those readers, they're going to be expecting like a white male detective. And, so, you know, it just it was really disheartening, yeah. you know, and um, it was like, yeah, but I didn't want to do that. And quite frankly, I had a couple of different takes on it after, you know, sort of <laughs> after sort of leaving that that conference. And, you know, I thought I'm not going to let this get me down. But one of the takes I had was, first of all, I felt like other writers who were much better than I had had done this so beautifully. I couldn't outdo that. How could I compete with Michael Connelly's Harry Bosch? I mean, come on. He's, he's like, he's done it perfectly. Or J.A. Jance's J.P. Beaumont. It's like, you know, that I can't do it better. You know, it, it has been done so beautifully and so perfectly. Um, 
that's, I need to bring something different and fresh and new. And the other thing too, it was um, my first series was set in Phoenix. I deliberately did that instead of going, you know, New York, LA, Chicago, Miami. Okay. Everyone has done that beautifully. And they, they've done that so perfectly. Let me bring something completely different. Phoenix is, it's a big, it's the sixth largest city in the United States. It's a big city. It has a lot going on. But not a lot of books have been written about it, the best-selling books. Or, so I thought, I'm going to stick to my guns, and I'm going to keep this in Phoenix, and I'm going to keep it with a female lead. I'm going to keep it with a Latina, even though it is a police procedural. So I, I'm just I'm going to go with it. So as it turns out, I was able to get a three-book deal for that. And then it really, things have totally, the landscape has changed now. I mean, now it's like, you know, it's six years later, everything is completely different. But back then it was not. The book did get, that exact book did get published. Um, It came out in 2017 because, you know, things always get picked up before they get actually hit the shelves. But yeah, it was, it was definitely different. And I'm, I'm very pleased to see that, that everybody is embracing diverse characters. Cause that, that was something after hearing that from the agent Mm -hmm. um, who I thought the agent, I mean, the agent had been around for a long time and he had decades under his belt. And I thought, well, he really knows what he's talking about. And he just told me there's no audience for this. It turns out that there is, and that people are at first I I was, I was thinking no one's going to read it. Oh no, what am I going to do? But people totally read it and they, and they really relate to the character, even if the character is not of their own um, ethnic background. And I, I kind of, I kind of liken it a little bit too, to, um, you remember the movie that came out in 1992, my big fat Greek wedding. Oh yeah. (laughs) A huge movie, huge, big success. And I thought about that too. And I said, you know what, that movie did not become a runaway success because all of the Greek Americans went to the movie. You know what I mean? It, It became a huge success because people enjoyed two reasons. First, people enjoyed hearing about a different culture. And then second of all, because everybody except the the Native Americans, everybody else in this country is an immigrant of some sort. Mm -hmm. And so many families have their own ethnic sort of um, traits and traditions and funny things that happen and different ways of doing it. And, And everybody, it was funny because I remember when that movie first came out, you know, my, my, my friends, you know, I had a friend who was of Polish descent, who's like, oh my gosh, that's just like my Polish family. They act the same way. My Cuban friend would be like, that's just like my Cuban family. They do exactly the same thing. Just like my Italian family. They're just like that, you know? And I realized that was sort of another point where I thought it's, it's the immigrant experience. And that's kind of what I was embracing with the, with the first series. It's the first series has a lot more cultural touch points in it than the Nina Guerrero series does. With the Nina Guerrero series, I wanted to do something different because I sort of removed her from her entire family by making her basically orphaned and a foster child. So I totally took her away from all of that, but had her try to get in touch with her ethnic roots, which you know is kind of an exploration of what she goes about doing. So yeah. Yeah, I think that, <laughs> yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Just I know. I think that's great because yeah, I think yeah, probably before it was more of a lip service, or maybe now publishers are taking it a little more seriously about the own voices yeah. and all that stuff. <laughs> yes. So I really love the. Uh, I, yeah, I don't want to give too many spoilers on uh, on a different Don, but yeah. um, 
Well, I mean, with the crimes that were so uh, hor- horrific, really, did you, is that based on, on a true story? Or, or I guess first, should we say, can you tell us a little bit about a different Don? Maybe we could catch up with listeners. <laughs> okay. Okay. And yeah, you're right. I mean, that is definitely, uh, yeah, there's some dark crimes. Um, and actually, in a way, yes, uh, it is based on not any one true story, but the experience that, you know, that I have in my background where I know that it does happen and we've seen it on the news. We've all seen it on the news where you have a mother who ends up killing her family or her, her children usually in particular, and then killing herself. We have seen it time and again. And, um, it's such a, it's such an extreme thing to do. And it makes you wonder what, what drives someone to do that? Because, you know, and I made sure to emphasize this in in the book that that is one of the most horrifying crimes because it is the antithesis of everything that motherhood is about. And especially being a mother myself, it's like, I just, the, the thought of it is, is just so abhorrent that I think that's why a lot of those kind of cases do make the news because we just can't believe it as a society, as a, as a culture, as a species, it's, it's the antithesis of everything, but it happens. It really does. And so as it turns out though, it, it turns out that in, in this case, those kind of, those kind of cases may not be what it is. And and I think that it's okay to say this, it's not a spoiler because it's kind of, it's in the description of the book. Mm that really it's about a serial killer who is so cunning that his his murders have been flying below the radar for almost 30 years. And so, yeah, I think that it, it's okay to say that it's set up to look like that, but it's really not. It's a, it's a serial killer at work who is unbelievably clever. And I, I thought about that a lot too, you know, because also there have been cases that my department investigated and things like that, where it was, you have a, a suicide that is set up to look like a murder. And that is done for a variety of reasons. Um, and it, it can be very tricky and very difficult to unravel that and to get to the truth of, was it a suicide or was it a murder? If you're extremely clever, you can make it very difficult to tell. Mm. Yeah, I think that's what makes it so scary too. Because yeah, like like it's probably happened when people have gotten away with it, you know. And we just don't know. Yeah. It's just it's just so surreal to think of to think that that could happen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then um, I also liked you know, um, these. I grew up in in Costa Rica, and um, oh. yeah, so that's I'm originally from there. I live in the states now. I've been living in the states for like 30 years. But um, but my mom and my brother and sister they also live in Costa Rica. And uh, La Llorona is something that doesn't matter what part of Latin America you're from. Yeah. It terrifies you as a little kid. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it's hard to explain. I don't like it's like the boogeyman, but times 10, yeah. you know. Yes. And so when I saw that in the description, I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I was very yes. excited to read that. And I think it's starting to become more popular now in the States. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, what were you at? Were you, were you excited about to write about that too? With your, yeah. I'm sure, as a, growing up as a Latina. <laughs> yes, yeah, it was. It was really, yeah. I had to think about that 
very carefully because if you if you really stop and think about it, I mean, and this is this is great. And well, first of all, now I know why you're you're pronouncing Nina Guerrera correctly. <laughs> I, I get it. Okay, it's perfect. And um, so the other thing that I was thinking about is um, it's such a creepy story, the legend of La Llorona, that um, I was thinking that your average non-Latina Latino reader might be like, okay, why would anyone tell this story to their kids? <laughs> but yet it happens. Like it is, it's such, it's a definitely like a Latin cultural thing. And so that's why, but I wanted to, I wanted to convey that creepiness. And that's why in the very opening chapter, you know, I have her as a young girl and she's like, you know, all the kids are around and they're being told the spooky story of La Llorona, you know, because mm-hmm. first of all, it's important for the reader to um, to understand in case they haven't heard the tale. And then secondly, um, it, I wanted to convey that creepiness of it and how scary it is for the little ones to hear it. And um, so I hope that, that I conveyed that. And then um, to think about how much that would have tortured the family involved to be accused of of doing something so horrific, of being like La Llorona. And then in a place like Phoenix, you know, um, where there's such a large uh, Latin American population where they might nickname the case that it made total sense to me at the time. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, it was great to see it. They kind of hit in the mainstream there. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and so I was kind of curious now about your writing process too. Now, do you, um, do you outline or do you just kind of write by the seat of your pants? What's your writing process like? Ah, it's, it's a sort of a hybrid of, of the two. Um, I always start out with an outline and my, sorry, I always sort of joke around about, you know, yeah, I, of course I outline because what else would I deviate from? Um, <laughs> I never end up sticking to my outline ever, but I feel like I have to at least have an idea. So what I've gotten to do is instead of like a very, very meticulous, detailed 50 page outline, like I've heard some authors do, I just set up some plot points, like some major plot points. I know how I want to open it. I know how I want to end it, although that that can change. And the opening can also change. Anything can change. But before I start writing, I know how I want to open it. I know how I want to end it. I, I know what I want to. I know that there's usually going to be like a big sort of turning point at about the 25% mark. There's going to be a major major reveal at the halfway point, And then there's going to be like a really big turning point you know, at about the 75% mark. And then there's a big climax close to the end. You know, I kind of have that much and then that's really it. And then after that, I just, I start writing. And then those side, those um, plot points to me are like signposts, signposts between DC and LA. (laughs) Those are little signposts, but I may go through Texas or I may go through North Dakota or whatever, but eventually I'll get to those sign points. I have no idea how I'm going to get there, but that is kind of how I have it in my mind. And then, and then sometimes I will change those plot points too. And the tools of the trade, do you use like word or some other, something else? Or? I do. I actually, I do a combination. Um, I started using Scrivener mm-hmm. a few years ago, um, like uh, two books ago, I think three books ago. Anyway, I haven't been able to do like write the whole thing in Scrivener, but I have, the Scrivener thing set up. And then I, I actually write it in word, but I import things from Scrivener. So I do find that it helps me just because when you're dealing with like a 90,000 word document, 
it's so massive and unwieldy in word that it helps to have something else that you can just sort of see like more of like an overview of where you're going with it. And so I was excited to see uh, on your website that uh, Cypher has been optioned for a movie it's on Netflix with none other than J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez oh, yeah. as Nina. How exciting is that? Can you tell, is, what can you tell us oh, about that? I'm sure it's all hush-hush right now, but. Oh, yeah. It's, I cannot believe, I mean, J-Lo, honestly, <laughs> one, of, one of the most gorgeous women on the planet and one of the most talented. I mean, she can sing, she can dance, she can act, she can do it all. And um, I just. I was so excited, you know, that she wanted this role and um, she was really, she and the, her production company, New York Productions, they were really behind it as far as, you know, they really drove the, the, um, the desire for this. And um, it was just stunning because um, there were other uh, production companies and stuff that were interested. Other producers were interested in this, they reached an optioning, but she really brought her A game and she came in strong and she got Netflix involved and they were ready to go. And they just, they really, really made it clear that they wanted this. And I'm so thrilled. I could not be more happy. I was just, um, I was incredibly excited and, and blessed. It really is every writer's dream to, um, to write something and then have major studio like Netflix and then a uh, an international superstar like JLo take on the the story and bring it to the public it's just incredible yeah it has to get bigger than that with that uh, that star power <laughs> yes <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So, um, so what's next for you? I, uh, I saw, I just saw that there, there's a third uh, Nina book coming out, Nina Guerrero yes. book. So that's exciting. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? I am writing it right now, um, even as we speak, and it, it has got a title now. It's called The Falcon, and it is going to be. Um, actually, I'm, <laughs> I'm on deadline, um, August first. It's due into my publisher. And then um, that's the first draft. And then obviously they're going to, you know, we, we work, we go editing back and forth and everything else, but that's going to be published next June. So the, the third in the series um, will be coming out in June. So less than a year. And it's, it's very exciting. And it's kind of fun to see what else is going to happen with Nina. I mean, now you've, you've read, obviously, an advanced copy of A Different Dawn. So I'm sure you're thinking, man, what else can happen now? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> it's it's definitely a, a challenge and, and lots of fun to think of what to do with her and the team. Yeah, well, that's exciting. Um, so uh, before I let you go, uh, I always like to ask because uh, I have aspiring writers that listening to this podcast. Any advice for aspiring writers out there that, that are trying to get that um, first book done? To do well, it it depends. I mean, if you if you haven't if you haven't written the first book, then absolutely the first thing to do is to do that deep dive where you just, you really, really have to study the art and craft. There is absolutely an art to it. And there's a craft to it, uh, writing, creative writing, because it isn't just enough to have a, a story, an interesting story, but you have to tell it in a way that is compelling, that will draw the reader in and keep them there. And you have to get out of your own way, sort of learn how to do that. Again, for me, I, I would... I spent a lot of time reading books and, and things like that. But also what was invaluable was joining writers groups 
like I'm, I'm a member of several um, national groups and then their, their local chapters, like Mystery Writers of America, International Thriller Writers, International Society of Latino Authors, um, Sisters in Crime. Um, and by the way, men are allowed in Sisters in Crime. We jokingly call, our, call ourselves um, Sisters and Misters. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, men are allowed too. But um, so there's a lot of, of writing groups. And if, you know, if you're not writing mystery thrillers, there's all, you know, there's writing groups for romance and for sci-fi, fantasy, children's books, I mean, whatever. You just have to Google it and find your local chapter. But that, that kind of networking is so incredibly important because not only does it teach you how to write, it teaches you things about the business of writing. And that is a huge thing. I mean, it really, really is you know, how to get an agent, how to market your book. If you're self-publishing, there's all kinds of information about that too. So it really is, um, it really is important to learn. And then the other thing is to go to conferences. I cannot tell you how valuable that is. Every time I've gone to the conference, I know it's expensive and um, you have to just sort of scrape the money together and mark out some time on your calendar. And even if you can just go to one every two years, if that's all you can afford, um, whatever it takes, but to get yourself to a big writer's conference. And if you can't do that, then maybe a smaller one that's closer to your area, whatever you can manage to do, but going to writer's conferences is so critical to, to networking, to learning the craft, and to sort of forwarding your career. And that is actually, that's how I found my publisher. That's how I found my agent was at writer's conferences. Oh, really? They yep. Both oh. times they, they accept pitches and oh. um, I got myself the most amazing agent. And um, I would never have gotten her if I hadn't gone to this um, if I hadn't gone to the International Thriller Writers Conference in Manhattan, in New York, that, that cost a lot of money to, to fly and then stay in Manhattan and everything. That's not a cheap city, but it was it obviously it, it paid back in spades because I got the most incredible agent. And then, you know, my career took off after that. But I had to be willing to believe in myself, to invest in myself. Yeah, that's good advice. And it's it's good to see that they're all coming back now after the the, the year of the pandemic. So that's kind of exciting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 They they did the virtual pitching yeah. and stuff like that before, but I think it's it's so much better to be able to do it in person. But they, you know, I I will be back myself next year at International Thriller Writers. I will absolutely be back. Yeah. And um, so I'll I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love doing the conferences. That's definitely one on my uh, on my list. So um, I'll, we'll try to get to get to that one as well because everyone just raves about it. How great it is! It know. is great. Yeah, it is great. Uh, all right, uh, Isabella. Well, so nice to talk to you. Where can the readers? Uh, what's your website so for the listeners to find you? Yes, uh, my website is www.isabellamaldonado.com. Mm -hmm. So that that makes it easy. And when you when you get on there, you can see. Right up front, there's all the stuff about the cipher, and then there's bio stuff about me, and it talks about um, my law enforcement career. And actually, it mentions, and I, I didn't mention this earlier, that um, one of the things that I thought helped me with writing the cipher, since Nina Guerrera is an FBI agent, is that I did go to the FBI National Academy in Quantico, and um, spent uh, you spent about three months there on campus. I did the obstacle course. You remember seeing Jodie Foster yeah. running through it in Silence of the Lambs? 
I did not look as pretty as Jodie Foster, but I ran through the obstacle course. I did, you know, that it was like really, really hard. One of the hardest things I've ever done. But, um, but yeah, I did, I did go through that, made a lot of contacts with the FBI and used a lot of that background and information to write about the FBI. Again, that's just another part of doing, you know, your, your background, your due diligence to make sure that you're, you're trying your best to portray the agency, whichever agency it is that you're writing about. Yeah, and they're pretty open about talking to writers. I've I found us, which kind of surprised me. I thought you know there'd be a little standoffish, but they they seem to to be willing to cooperate sometimes if you get if you yeah. ask right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. They're a little busy right now, but you know, in between, they they have a they have a, a public affairs that anyone can contact and mm-hmm. ask questions and whatever. You just have to be respectful of their time and not ask them simple questions that you could just look up yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you, that that's all. You just have to make sure that you're that you're you know honing it down and being very specific. And the same thing would be true, you know, if you're writing about any given police agency. You don't just show up at their public affairs office and start asking random questions that are very basic that you could you could research. So you. Have have to you have to do that you have to do whatever as much research as you possibly can and then then you approach the people who are on the job all right well thank you so much Sorella, for being on the uh, podcast i really enjoyed talking to you about your books and your work and your background uh, it's a lot of fun thank you it was so much fun talking to you too and i hope to see you at thriller fest or one of the other conferences coming up thank you for listening to meet the thriller author I hope you enjoyed my conversation with one of your favorite writers of mysteries and thrillers. Or if this episode's guest is new to you, I hope you give their books a chance. Helping listeners discover new authors and books is one of the coolest outcomes of doing this podcast. As always, you can head over to thrillerauthors.com to sign up to my Thrilling Reads email list. That way you won't miss out on any great deals in thriller and mystery books. You can also check out all the links and resources in the show notes for this episode over at thrillerauthors.com. And also please do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already and leave a rating and review wherever it is that you're listening to this show. If you have done that already, I thank you. I really do appreciate your support. For my other links to my author website, social media haunts, and more uh, check out thrillingreads.com forward slash links all my links will be uh, on that uh, page so that's it for this episode Uh, see you next time and stay safe out there